The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Good morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to start a brand new sermon series. It's called We Are Fellowship. Uh, We'll get into a little bit more about that here in a second. And uh, and we're actually going to be there for the next few weeks going forward. But uh, I want to do something that I've never done before. I've never started a sermon reading a poem. Now, I'm, I'm not the most poetic guy, and so you'll have to forgive me if I'm not reading it right with the uh, whatever it's called, how you read poems. Um, I don't know. I'm, you know. <laughs> it's been a while since I've taken an English class. But uh, indulge me for a second and listen to this poem. It's called Family Is. It says, Family is heaven sent from our Father above, bonded by the power of love. No matter what, family has each other's back when push comes to shove. Family is understanding and never demanding. All for one and one for all, I will never leave you alone standing. Family is one in itself. My love is your love. My pain is your pain. My wealth is your wealth. Uh, I promise to never leave you by yourself. Family is the strongest team, the strongest unit. If love could be visualized, family would be the blueprint. Family is forgiveness and patience. It's sweeter than the sweetest fragrance. The power of family is a reflection of God's compassion and magnificence. Family is never turning our back and never placing shames, lending my helping hand and not a finger pointing the blame. No matter what, a family's bond can never be broken. Even through a nuclear explosion, if one of us lives, we all live forever to eternity. We are family. Isn't that great? I love family. I love the idea of family. Ever since Melissa and I started our family, I've always felt the most joy, like when we can all be together, right? Now, it looks a little different for me now because my kids are all grown up, right? Um, Gabby is off in college, and, you know, my kids are kind of spread out and never home. And so it doesn't happen as often as I would like, but my favorite part about family is when we can all get together. Uh, But... Family for me has looked a little bit different than for other people I know. I know families in this very church that sometimes they just all get together for lunch. Uh, I know because I've invaded those lunches. <laughs> but they all get together, and you have the grandma and the grandpa and the brothers and the sisters and all the little kids running around, the nieces and nephews. And it's like this big, wholesome family unit, and I love that. Aside from Melissa and my kids, the only other family I really have is my mother, um, And she doesn't live here. But for me, it's been a little bit of experience. I don't have that big, wholesome family. However, I will say this. My big, wholesome family experience has always been church family. Church family. Um, You know, I surrendered to Jesus when I was around 18 or 19, and Melissa was the same. And uh, from the moment we started going to our church, 
uh, then our church became church family. I've experienced that more here at Fellowship than I ever have anywhere else. I mean, I'm telling you, just the other day, Miss Nancy Hyman said, uh, since I didn't have a grandma, that she could be my grandma. And I said, you know what? From now on, you're going to be Mama Nancy then. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so, so, so she's like my adopted grandmother now. And I love that, right? I love that we can feel that close. Um, family is important. It's very important. But I would argue with you this morning that church family is the most important type of family that you can be a part of, that I can be a part of. The closest relationships I have today are all church family, all of them. Uh, you know, all the time, I spend days throughout my week with church family, Sundays with church family. We eat out with church family. We are at somebody's house three times a week probably, and I love that, right? We can all come together. And so when you start thinking about it, where did the idea of uh, church family and the structure of church start as we see it today. How, how did that come about? Well, that brings us to our passage of scripture this morning that we'll be in for the next several weeks. Acts 2, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. If you have a Bible or a device this morning, uh, you can turn there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is, is where we'll be at uh, for the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> as I said earlier, this series is called We Are Fellowship. And I believe that us here today, we are fellowship, we are a church family. Amen? We, we, we stick together, we do things together, and fellowship as it exists today is basically a body of believers. We come together, uh, and our goal is to make and mature disciples for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission statement. That is what we live for. And this is and, ex and was exactly the goal of the very first church as Christianity began. And we'll read about that here in a second. But first, a little context before we dive into the passage. By this point in Acts, where we find ourselves in our Bible, Jesus had been on the earth uh, for three years, doing his, well, 33 years. He had been doing his ministry for three years. He had went and called disciples, and then he then trained them in the process of discipleship, and then commissioned them to go and make disciples. So after all that process, Jesus, in the first part of Acts, he's departing to heaven. And you remember his, his, his apostles and disciples were like, where are you going? Why are you leaving us? And he said, because I'm commissioning you to go now and do the work. And they had the upper room experience, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they were filled, and they preached with boldness. And then Peter preaches this great sermon, and 3,000 people get saved that day. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be glorious if we went out and were preaching and 3,000 new people were saved? We better have a good church structure going on to be able to get that influx. And so that's exactly where we find ourselves here. And here's where they go with this newly formed church. Amen. Let's read it. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, they, being all these 3,000, the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. 
They ate, uh, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved. So people came, they received the word, they surrendered their lives, and this single moment and transformation changed the path of their lives forever. It changed their lives forever. They then became family. Look at some of the things that it says that they did. They had all things in common. They met each other's needs, meaning uh, basically the way it worked was, you know, I, I, I lack a mule to be able to plow my field. And so the, the church would get together and find me a mule whether they had to purchase that or somebody had a meal they gave me, gave it to me, I could then plow my field. Does that make sense? Um, I didn't have food to eat that night. They would all get together and make sure that nobody went hungry. They took care of each other's needs. They broke bread together. They spent time throughout the week together. I love that. Did you catch the part in there that we read where they only met on Sundays? <laughs> yeah, I didn't read that either because uh, it's not in there. Uh, they, now, they did meet on Sundays, okay? They did meet on Sundays, but they also spent time together all throughout the week as they lived their lives. Uh, it, that's, that's the important part to take away from this, that they became so close and so closely connected that they were literally spending all their time throughout the week together. Together. They were together. It was the beginning of something that was very different. And that was very special. It's the same thing we should be experiencing here at Fellowship this morning. Amen? That we are a family, that we have this closeness, this connectedness together. Now, can you have a close connection with a group of like-minded people and not go to church? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, I know several people who are a part of a country club um, or a rotary club and they meet together and do things. Some of these clubs do outreach. Some of them are formed to tackle social issues. So sure, you, you can have that. Uh, you can have a group of people to meet and not necessarily go to church. However, the text that we read gives us a more focused direction than just being a group of people that come together. Okay? We come together for a purpose. Uh, and I stated that that purpose earlier was we have come together to make disciples who can then make other disciples. This purpose has a specific foundation. Okay, we're getting somewhere here. That specific foundation is the word of God. Well, not those papers, but the word of God. Amen? If you want to be a part of a rotary club or a country club or whatever, that's fine. I'm not saying don't do that. All I'm saying is the focus we have and the reason we come together is because of Jesus Christ and what we read right here. That's what separates us from everybody else. Look at what it says right there in the first part of the verse 42. It's where we'll be camping out for the rest of the service. We're just going to read 42, and then I'm going to only preach on the first few words of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when we read this, it gives, it gives clear indication that learning from the word of God was first and foremost the most important part of these new believers as they joined the church. 
learning the word of God became the primary focus for all of these new believers. The apostles taught the scriptures. Well, the apostles also wrote scripture, amen? Most of the epistles that we have in our Bible were written by the apostle Paul, but Matthew wrote, John wrote, Peter wrote, possibly James and Jude were apostles and they wrote scripture. So they had all these men who wrote down the inspired word of God teaching them the word of God. There was significant time instructing, there was significant time spent instructing God's people in God's word. And this should be the sole factor of what brings us together as a church. Amen? Uh, We don't come together to be a Rotary Club. We don't come together to be a country club and hang out with each other on Sundays. We come together for a mission and a purpose, and that foundation is founded upon what we read here in the scriptures. Without the word of God, we have no instruction on life, and we have no direction. You, You just don't. If you don't have the word of God... And, and, and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I don't know what direction you're going in, but it's not the right one. Without the word of God, we might as well be one of those other clubs we talked about earlier. However, would you agree with me that there is an allurement to what we do here? Amen? It, it, it brings about this closeness and family and stability and community, and people want to be a part of that, Right? There are other groups that want and desire that, but they don't want the scriptures to go along with it. Did you know that there are such things called as the atheist church? (laughs) That's kind of like an oxymoron, but uh, it's the atheist church. And I've watched some of their services online. They get together and they do like this and they sing songs that are inspiring and uplifting, however that works. And then someone gets up and says an inspiring and uplifting word or poem or, or whatever, and, and, and it's like the blind leading the blind. But they come together and they do these things, and I find it interesting, a man by the name of Dr. Anthony Penn put it this way of why they get together like that. He said, there's a growing concern within humanist and atheist circles for an opportunity and a structure for relationships, ritualizing life and opportunity to think through and celebrate high points of life and an opportunity to mourn with others the low points of life, to, in essence, make life meaningful. You see, everybody has this God-sized hole in their heart that they need to fill with God. People fill it with all different kinds of things. These atheists come together and try to lift each other up without the actual ingredient that it takes to get there. But you cannot have a meaningful life outside of a purpose and direction that is given to us through the word of God. It is impossible. It is impossible. Because even, let's say, you have a direction, and that direction is leading you away from God, and eventually you die, then your purpose and direction has ended you up in a really bad spot. Because from what I read in the Bible, those who die and die without Jesus Christ as their personal Savior go to hell. And that's horrible. We don't want that. And that's why we want our purpose and our direction to lead people in the right direction. And the Word of God does that. God has given us purpose and direction. Amen. Look at Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I love that. I might have an idea of where I want to be headed in life, 
But if it's not the Lord's purpose, then his purpose ultimately prevails, meaning it's a better idea than mine. Psalm 33, 11. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean in the opposite? That if you are not following the purpose of God, then all things are not going to work out good for you. That's exactly what that means. Colossians 1.16. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. All things have been created through him and for him. There is only meaning and purpose through the redeeming grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's the only place we find it. Uh, that's where we find community and fellowship and togetherness. And that is what makes us a church, right? That we have this meaningful purpose and direction that God has given us in his word. And it is on the foundation of what we know through reading the scriptures and, and understanding what God expects of us. The foundation is the word of God. It changes everything. The word of God changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes our relationships and how we deal with people, right? Before I came to Jesus, I was a thief. I'm not lying to you. I would take your bike out of the front yard if you didn't have it chained up. And, and so I'm just being honest. Uh, and, and so how I dealt with people in relationships was way different than how I deal with them now. Okay, uh, I, 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 was, I was not that great of a person. But it changes everything. So it should be no surprise to us that all of these people came together in the first church ever, and the very first thing they did was learn the word of God. Why? Because if I bring a group of people together, however many of us there are in here this morning, and we try to go on the same direction, but I don't use the word of God, where are we going to end up? This is a roadmap. This is a roadmap that each and every one of us should read and know and use. And if we read it right and we know it right, we all head in the same direction, right? If we come together and we don't have that, then everybody's going to have their own ideas. That's what it said, right, in the book of Proverbs. To, to everyone, they have their own plans, but God's plans is the best. So the apostles understood that this foundation alone would be what would eventually sustain the church, sustain the family, the very word of God. The word brings us together. It sustains us. It gives us direction. So there are a few things I want to talk about this morning that I think will help us better understand how the word of God works in our lives and why we should trust it moving forward. Amen? I got three points this morning. I'll have you out in time for lunch and we'll get out of here. All right. Point number one, the word is truth. The word of God is truth. If we are going to stand on the word of God as our foundation here for fellowship, we must understand that it is true and that it is reliable. Okay? I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't come to you and try to convince you of something that this book says if I don't completely believe that it is inerrant and infallible. I can't do it. I can't do it. Because if I know that one thing is wrong, 
In this book, I might as well throw it in the trash. Because if one thing is wrong, then that means it could have gotten other things wrong, and it's a snowball effect. We have to believe in the truth and the reliability in the Word of God. And the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus himself is the Word of God. Amen? Jesus is the Word of God. Look at John 1. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things that were created through him and apart from him, I'm sorry, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus himself is the word of God. The Bible tells us that he has always been. He had no beginning. He he will have no end. It was through him that everything we see here on earth was created. Now, you might be saying, like, I get that, right? Like, what does that have to do with truth? (laughs) What, What is the fact that Jesus is the word of God? Indulge me, and we'll come full circle. If we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ, which is what we would have done the moment we surrendered to him, we placed our trust in him, then we must completely trust in what he has said. Think about that. Let that soak in. I'll read it again. If we have placed our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, which is what happens at the surrender, the moment of surrender, then we have to trust in what he has said. There's no two ways about it. You can't Surrender to Jesus and trust in him and not trust what he says in his book. It doesn't work that way. Notice the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, if, we've, if we've placed our trust, that's the way it works. John 14, 6 is where I was going next. John 14, 6. Jesus told them, this is Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. First, he's saying I'm the only option. I'm the only way you can get there to God. Point blank. But notice the part uh, about truth in the statement from him. Why would he feel the need to put that in there? Why would Jesus feel the need to say, I'm the truth? Right? He could have easily had just said, hey, trust me, we're going the right direction, and only through me you can do that. He could have said that. Would that have worked for you? It would have worked for me. I I can trust in Jesus for that. But he said, I am the truth. What is truth, right? I did this whole sermon one time, I think everybody fell asleep, about absolute truth and relative truth and how these days, you know, people make up their own truth and everything. It was when I first got here and I was like, okay, they didn't want to hear that because I saw a lot of nodding heads. But the idea is truth is important for us to know, right? Two plus two will always equal what? Four. Uh, you can't have a square circle. Right? That, that kind, those are true facts. And Jesus wants us to know that he is the truth. It would make no sense to follow someone as deeply as we follow Jesus if we question the reliability of what he said. It wouldn't make any sense at all. Why would we follow him if we question what he says? If Jesus was not right on 100% of the things he said, we've all been duped. We're done. Hang it up. I have actually heard people say, well, you know, I really, I really like the idea of Jesus. He was a good guy and all. I just don't like some of the things he said. 
but that doesn't work out. <laughs> that doesn't work out, right? Uh, that makes no sense at all. If Jesus was wrong about what he said, then he wouldn't be a good person at all. He'd be a liar. That's all there is to it. Look at what C.S. Lewis once said. I love this. He said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Think about that. Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. If Jesus comes and says, I am the only way. If Jesus comes and said that there is only one God and one way to salvation, and it is through me, and that's not the case, meaning if I can come through Gandhi, if I can come through Allah, if I can come through Buddha, if there's many roads, then Jesus is a liar, point blank. Well, I don't believe he's a liar. I believe he's right. If he came and said, uh, I am God, I and the Father are one, I came through a virgin, I was born that way, and I was spent time in heaven, and I've seen angels and demons and everything, and it wasn't true, he'd be nuts. He'd be a lunatic, right? If, if you're saying those kind of things, and I don't actually buy into what you're saying, I'm going to have you committed. Those are some crazy things to say. So, in other words... If we have to believe on the reliability of what he said and who he says he is, then that should make him Lord. Meaning, you don't, you're not afforded the opportunity to say, yeah, yeah, I, I like Jesus because he was a good person, but I don't believe in what he said because then that cancels each other out. It wouldn't make him a good person. It would make him a horrible person for leading people astray, would it not? That would be horrible if he did that and he wasn't telling the truth. So, Bottom line is, if we trust Jesus, then we must trust in what he said, and what he has said is right here in this book. It has been written down for us, and it has been proven that uh, according to the, to the manuscripts that have been found and corresponding together, there's not one single error here in the word of God that we read. It's been proven throughout time. So it is trustworthy, it is reliable, the word of God is truth. And our foundation here at Fellowship is based on the truth claims that Jesus made. And we find those truths in the word of God. Amen? Look at point number two. The word is complete. The word of God is complete. This book contains everything we need to know about God. It contains everything God wants us to know about ourselves, and we need no other roadmap to understanding it and our purposes as we live it. That's it. There, there are other religions out there. There are other religious texts. There are other religious leaders, uh, people who claim to either know more about God or claim that the Bible got it wrong. Sure, they're out there, right? Right? First off, let me say something. If there is a writing that comes after what was already written, then I don't put much stock in it, right? If I wrote something about Abraham Lincoln that 150,000 people knew to be true, and then 50 years after Abraham Lincoln, they wrote something totally off base that nobody knew, but they claimed to know even though they weren't around back then, I'm sorry, <laughs> You're not a reliable source. You know who is a reliable source? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, Apollos. All these guys. Bartholomew, James, Jude. Paul says at one point, 500 people saw Jesus after the resurrection. 
And then, and then he even goes on in scripture and says, hey, if you don't believe me, go ask them. They're still alive. That's some reliability right there, right? I would step in some mud if I claim something that nobody else can corroborate. That would be horrible. So I need nothing else. I need nothing else. You can't be given the roadmap and then try to change the direction. It doesn't work that way. That's exactly what Muhammad did, and I don't want to get into that too much this morning. But he said, oh, I don't trust Christians, I don't trust Christianity, and yeah, you know, I read some of this stuff in the Bible, and I think it should have gone a different direction. Well, I think it should have been Ishmael and not Isaac to get that, and that's what, you know, well, hold on a second. You can't come after the fact and then change the story, bub. It don't work that way. You're not afforded the privilege of doing that because you weren't there. The word of God is complete. It needs no assistance from any outside source to help us to have a meaningful life. And we are to take caution when anything outside of the Bible tries to influence what God has already said to be true. Let me just say, scripturally speaking, God does not like it when you fool with what he's written down. If I come up here and I says, thus says the Lord, and it's not in there, that's a scary thought for me. Because I know everybody wants to preach about the love and the kindness of God and how mushy it all feels. But God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. And he will chastise as he sees fit. The fear of the Lord is a real serious thing. The fear of the Lord. Look at what uh, Paul says in Galatians. Just to kind of set this up. There were these many churches in the region of Galatia that Paul had helped establish. And uh, they went in and they taught them Jesus and they learned the gospel and everything was going great. But then Paul started getting these reports several months later, a year later, uh, about people who had come in behind him and who were telling these churches in the area of Galatia, no, 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 no. Yeah, we get it, Jesus, but then you got to do all this other legalistic stuff behind it. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to, you know, do this. You got to do that. You got to jump through these hoops, but then, then you can really experience Jesus. And it, it made Paul really upset. Some of the language he uses in the book of Galatians, it's close to cursing, I kid you not, the way he spoke to them because he was so upset about some of the things he had learned that they were learning. Look at what he says in Galatians 1, 8 through 9. He says in a probably very frustrated voice, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you the gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before and now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, a curse be on him. Literally, what he's saying in the Greek as a curse be on him is go ahead, dig a ditch to hell and throw that person in there. That's the literal sense of what he's trying to say there. Cursed be you if you take what the gospel has already said and you change it to influence someone in the wrong direction. That's what people were, look what he said. He said if an angel comes down from heaven, if you see some kind of miraculous being and they say, oh, no, 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 you've got to follow Jesus in this way and it contradicts what the Bible's saying. He says be careful Because cursed are you if you follow that person knowing what the truth says. Meaning, don't add anything. Don't add anything that doesn't need to be added to the grace that God offers through Jesus Christ. Because then it could go bad for you. Make no mistake about it. God takes his word very seriously. And he will deal very seriously with those who try to add or take away from what he said. 
He means it. He means business because he wrote this down as a lifeline for us to find life and to go from death to life and to find his son, Jesus. It's serious business. It's important to remember that this book is complete. It's the final word that God has left for us and nothing outside of it is needed to know to understand God. I don't need somebody else to write about how they went into heaven and that, and, you know, saw Jesus because I see Jesus right here. I don't need anybody to go and say that they had this outer body experience to show me the way because I've already been shown the way. It's complete. It needs no assistance. Look at Proverbs 30. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. It says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't add to his words or he will rebuke you and you will be proved a liar just to slow things down a bit here I I used to be afraid of my mother and she's going to watch this and be horrified that I said this but I would rather get whipped by my dad than my mom back in the day she didn't know how to control herself and it hurt bad when she whipped me (laughs) and so I got this feeling when I did something bad and she was fixing to know about it I was terrified boy like Golly. One time she was spanking me with a paddle and it broke. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And then she went and grabbed the belt. And it was like, I'm not done with you yet. And no, you know, I was terrified to do something wrong. And can you imagine the God of the universe who has created everything we know, who has brought death to life, and who has created the heavens and the earth and everything we see here and and the judgment that comes with him that we read in the book of Revelation. Can you imagine going outside of his word and him coming to you to condemn you and call you a liar? That's horrible. I'd rather take a thousand times the wrath of my mother than to be in that spot. And he says, if you take away or add anything from what God has said, that's what you can expect, buddy. And I don't want to be there. Why would I? I'm an idiot. Why would I need to add anything to what a wise, sovereign God would say? <laughs> Thanks for that, amen, Daniel. <laughs> Who can you trust if not your friends? No. <laughs> but, right? It's ridiculous to think we could add anything to that. It's not Jesus along with Gandhi. It's not Jesus with Muhammad added for good measure. It's not the Bible and the Book of Mormon to help it out. It's Jesus alone, through faith alone, through his word alone. That's it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing else comes, nothing else can come to God but through me. Nothing needs to be added. It's complete. You can trust it. It's reliable. Right? So God's word is truth. God's word is complete. And last but not least, the word is living. The word of God is living. I think for the most part, it's simple to identify something that's living from something that's dead. Right? Um, If you know how to check a pulse, you know. Stuff like that. Look at these few pictures I put up here. Um, which one's alive? Which one's dead? It's just Valentine's Day. Those are all going to look like that in a week. What about this next picture? It's pretty easy to tell. 
which one's live and vibrant and which one's dead. Amen? All right, I got a trick one coming up. Next. <laughs> we don't know if he's playing possum or <laughs> he could be dead. Hopefully, I hate possums. But uh, they're just so nasty. Uh, so, but for the most part, right, for the most part, you know when something's alive and when something's dead. You know. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Man, that's powerful. That is powerful. Let's read that again. That was great. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Did you know that the word of God can cut through you like a hot knife through butter? It'll do it. It'll do it. We, uh, me and a buddy of mine, we've been reading through the book of Proverbs every morning as we meet for coffee, and it's... Over and over and over again, I'm like, oh, man, I needed that. You know, like, wow, that was awesome. It's living. It's active. In the growth group that I teach, uh, we most often, sometimes, we walk through books of the Bible. So meaning we go verse by verse and we break down the scriptures. And sometimes we don't get very far along because our discussions get so great, right? We'll, we'll read a, a scripture or two, and then it'll open Pandora's box. And we're just in there like, wow, what about this? What about that? And it, it gets really interesting. We did the book of Genesis once, and it took us over a year and a half to complete. Every Sunday, verse by verse, the book of Genesis, it was a long time. But it's always cool when I hear something said in my class or people that I know who have come to my class when they say, like, we started att- attending growth group in the 12th chapter of Acts. Or we came, we started coming to growth group on the third chapter of Romans. You know, that kind of stuff is really neat to hear because they're learning the word. But the coolest thing, I think, that is when someone says and has been said, we're reading this in class and I was really convicted and I want to change my life. In tears. Or... We read this in Romans, and I'd like to know more about salvation, and then two weeks later, that person getting saved. That's awesome. The word is living. You see, it has nothing to do with my eloquent speech as a (laughs) Bible teacher. I'm really not that good, Uh, but it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my ability to teach the scriptures or the study that I've put together It has everything to do with the word of God. Why? Because the word is living. The word changes lives for the better. It changes families for the better. It makes you a better husband. It makes you a better wife. It makes you a better father, a better kid. It makes you every part of you, if you apply it to your life, it makes you better. Look at what it said. Look at what it said in the last verse we read in Hebrews penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and morrows, it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When we know we're wrong and we know that something needs to be done about it, the Holy Bible, the scriptures that God has given us, cuts through us like a hot knife through butter. And it changes our lives if we allow it to. Amen? 
if we allow it to. It changes our lives. You do not get that from any other text. It only comes through the word that is alive. You don't. I'm sorry. I've read many good authors and what they had to say, and it didn't change my life. It didn't make me any more meaningful. It can't do that because those words are dead. Not that they're not inspiring, but they have no life containing in them. Does that make sense? It has no life containing in it. The word of God has life. God God breathes his life into us, and he uses the scriptures to do that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome that we know that about God? Listen, why would you go to any other source when only one is living and active and has life in its words? Why would you need to? No other book has life. What good does it do us to search for other things that do not exist? We do a lot of treasure hunting sometimes with uh, the Shaws and the Wards. And, well, they do a lot of treasure hunting. I've tagged along. But could you imagine looking for something that doesn't exist? How horrible would that be? That would, be, that would not be cool. Like you're out there looking for something that doesn't exist, and that's exactly the way it works. If you go outside of this, if you're searching any other area, any other text, whether that be the Vedas in Hinduism or whether that be the Quran in Islam, it doesn't have life in it. And why would you go on a wild goose chase when we have the answer staring us in the face right here? It doesn't make sense. I'll close with this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable to us. Think of it this way. Maybe you're here this morning and your marriage is falling apart. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been addicted to alcohol or to drugs or pornography. All scripture is inspired and profitable to you. Want to be a better spouse? All scripture is inspired and profitable to you. You feel like your life is meaningless and lacks direction, true direction? All scripture is profitable, is inspired and profitable to you. Church, we are fellowship. Amen? We are fellowship. And if we plan on growing this body, and if we plan on making an impact in others' lives out in our community like we should be doing, then there is no other place to start than the Word of God. This is our foundation. This is where we find life. This is where we find meaning. All the answers to your problems are right here. Now, it's not, it's not as easy as plug and play, right? It's not that easy. Uh, you, you don't come to me and say, hey, well, you know, I got this issue. You know, point me to the... <laughs> Listen, it's when we devote ourselves to reading this daily and we pray over the scriptures and we say, God, reveal to me what it is that you need for me to understand. He's going to show you. Because it's already been revealed and he's giving you the roadmap to be able to do that. Now, I argue we should read the Word of God every day. Every day. Whether that be a little bit or whether that be a lot. And if you're not doing that this morning, I want to challenge you to get on that. Don't wait till New Year's. Today is a new year. 
from today, February 19th, is that where we are? 16th. February 16th to the next February 16th, let's make a commitment to be in the Word of God every single day. And I promise you, take me up on this. If you're going through anything in life and and you have questions about what's going on, get in the Word. Every day. Every day. And in a year from now, let's talk. And then you tell me whether or not it impacted your life. Because I promise you it will. If you stick to the process... It will, because it has life change in it. It is infused with the breath of God and life. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.